Good morning, Monmouth Christian. My name is Hugh Heinrichsen, and I'm a pastor in Roseburg, Oregon. That's what you're seeing behind me here. Uh, we actually have a brief moment where it's not raining, so I thought I'd step outside to talk with you today. As I said, I'm a pastor, and I've been a pastor for nearly 25 years. Uh, I know it's hard to tell with my rugged good looks this morning that that's the case, but still, I started when I was three years old. I've been a pastor since I was three. Well, that's not true. I did start when I was pretty young, though. I was in my early 20s uh, serving in ministry, and I found myself as a pastor trying to lead people to, to find and follow Jesus. And as a newlywed, as a new pastor, I remember one specific instance where I was in my office with a couple and they were having issues in their marriage and they were having issues uh, stemming from things from their past and they found themselves reaching out to me somebody who had gone to Bible college, somebody who had studied the scripture and knew that Jesus is more than enough to meet our needs, to help us uh, satisfy the deep aches and longing of our soul. And so as a wise young pastor, I sat down with this couple and we opened the scriptures and we looked and we talked about the problems they were facing in their marriage. And we prayed and I sent them on their way. And I was so excited because I knew that I as a pastor had helped them with this problem. And then they came back the next week. And the issues that they were facing and wrestling with in their home not only had not gone away, but they were actually a little bit worse. And there was conflict that continued to arise. And, and the deeper that we got and the more we discussed and, and the more I pointed them to the scripture and to Jesus to solve the problems of their life, the more I realized that it wasn't going away. So I had to wrestle with the question, is Jesus enough or not? What happens when we find ourselves wrestling with struggles and problems in life and we pray and we study the scripture and those problems persist? What happens? We're not alone in this journey of wrestling through the issues of life, whether it's conflict in a marriage that would, would uh, encourage you to seek help or whether it's mental health issues that you're wrestling with, such as excuse me, such as depression or anxiety or fear or post-traumatic stress disorder or any other thing that has an acronym. We're not alone in this. And in fact, we have people who have walked the journey a lot longer, uh, a, a long time before we got here. And I want to point you to a passage of scripture that comes from Psalm chapter 69. And David is the one who writes this. And I just want to read this to you for a moment. Listen to this. This is from the ESV translation. David writes this, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Imagine that the water's right here. I sink in deep mire where there's no foothold. Okay, the water's here and now, now, now the, the, the foothold is sinking. Okay, imagine this. I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. It was here, now it's here, and now the waters sink over me. And then David says this, I am weary with my crying out. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. David is facing something that is overwhelming him that he feels like he's sinking in the middle of this mess and he's cried out to God so much he's lost his voice. And that phrase in Hebrew, my eyes grow dim with waiting for my God is him saying, God, I'm starting to lose hope. What happens when you find that you're starting to lose hope? He jumps back down. He talks about the specifics of his situation, but what's the situation for you? In verse 13, he picks up and he says this, but 
in spite of all of the, the specifics about my circumstances, God, my prayer is to you. At an acceptable, at an acceptable time, O oh God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. He prays, God, hear my voice, hear my cry. He prays, deliver me from the sinking mire, the thing that's sucking me down. Let me be delivered from my enemies, from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. David cries out, take this thing away. If you've wrestled with mental health issues or problems and conflict and relationships or whatever the things are, you have probably come to the place where you cry out for help. God, take it away. But what happens when it doesn't go away? Does that mean that God has failed? Does that mean that Jesus isn't enough to meet us where we are? Here's the problem. We have a distorted theology when we think that the problems of our lives disappear when we follow Jesus. What we find is it's that it's in the midst of our mire that God is present with us. All throughout the scripture, you see that this is an opportunity for you and I to draw near to God. All throughout the scriptures, we read about suffering. Now, that's not something fun that we like to think about, but sometimes when we wrestle with mental health issues, suffering is present, and it's the very thing that God is using to draw us near to him. David, again, in Psalm 69, talks more about his specifics, and then he gets to this place in verse 29, and he says this, but... I'm afflicted and in pain. That hasn't changed, hasn't gone away. Let your salvation, oh God, set me on high. God, it's through you and your salvation that I'm lifted up. It doesn't take me out of the mess, but it sets me on high. And then he continues and he actually speaks by saying this, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving even in the midst of his mess, even in the midst of his suffering and his, his hardship, it's an opportunity to draw near to God, to raise a song of worship, to praise him, to seek God. Why is it important for the church to deal with mental health? Because it's a part of everyday life. And as a body of believers, it's important that you normalize the presence of mental health issues in your church. Here's the deal. We can try and hide from it. We can try to pretend like it's not there, or we can acknowledge the fact that it's in the midst of these issues that God gives us opportunity to seek him, to find him and follow him with all our whole hearts. It's time to throw away the distorted theology that makes us think that we'll never experience pain or hardship or suffering or wrestle with mental health issues. The presence of mental health issues in your life or in the lives of those you love doesn't mean God has failed. It means this is a new opportunity for you to draw near to him. And as a body of believers to come alongside those who are wrestling and struggling. It's funny because when I was that young pastor, I realized I'm not fully equipped to help meet people where they are. And I actually went back to school and got a degree in psychology and then went for a graduate degree in counseling because I wanted to understand how I could better come alongside people in the midst of their suffering. I don't know about you, maybe God's tugging on your heart to say, what is my role that I can play, Lord, in helping meet people in the midst of their brokenness when they feel like the ground is eroding below them and the water is swallowing them up? You might not be able to take them out of that mess, 
but you can be present with them and help them to find the hope that comes from Jesus. I am praying for you, Monmouth Christian, that you would be a community that would be a sanctuary for those who are hurting and hopeless. And they can find hope because Jesus is with them and they'll know that Jesus is with them because Jesus is with you and you're with them too. God bless you. God bless you. Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sean, and I'm one of the pastors here, and today is a different day than normal. Uh, hopefully you saw before you came in today, or you've caught so far today, is our annual Hope for Mental Health Sunday. And we're going to begin with a little um, experience together. And so first of all, I hope that you got one of these pieces of paper. Um, and uh, if you're joining us online, here's what I'd love for you to do online, because you, you can't get a piece of paper. We haven't created that technology yet um, for you to be able to get a piece of paper from us. But um, if you text the word H4MH, which stands for Hope for Mental Health, H4MH to 97,000, there'll be a little online survey, and we'd love for you guys to do it because what's going to happen is you're going to see the results showing up online right in front of you guys. So H4MH. 97,000. Not Monmouth, right? We do Monmouth 97,000. Everybody knows that, okay? H4MH. If you're in the room, here, here's, what we, here's what we're going to do. Um, hopefully you have a pen. You may have already filled this out. He, here's what I want you to do. Can everyone take this and hold this in their hand? Okay, hold it in your hand. Here's what I want you to know. This is going to be absolutely, completely anonymous in every way. There's going to be no way that anybody's going to know what you mark on this. Now, if you have a pen, I want you to take the pen and put it in one hand. Okay, and what we're going to do is I want you to bend your head down and mark something. Okay, now wait a second, we're going to do it all together in a second. Okay, if you would not mark one of the four categories there, just put a little check somewhere on the piece of paper. Here's what we're doing. We're all going to bend our head down and use a pen to mark something on the paper to try and give permission to those who are still nervous and afraid to acknowledge what's going on in their life. Um, that this is a safe place, right? And we don't want to be able to look around and just see like the, the couple people who all of a sudden now they're trying to like put their head down and try and, okay, so in a moment, we're all gonna put our heads down. Now I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen with this paper so that you can be confident that, that you, you, nobody's gonna know, okay? Once we're all done, we're gonna fold these papers up in half or in fourths or in eighths, hamburger or hot dog style, whichever you'd prefer. And we're gonna have some guys come around and they're gonna collect them all and then they're going to move around the room and they're going to hand them back out. So someone is going to end up with your piece of paper and you're going to end up with somebody's piece of paper, but it will not be you. See how that's going to work? Okay. So here we go. Everybody head down and mark something. Give us a good 10 count before you lift your head back up so that everybody has a moment to actually read and mark whatever they are comfortable sharing. The four questions, have you had serious depression lasting more than two weeks? Have you had any disabling anxiety? Have you experienced self-harm or have you had suicidal thoughts? And so once you're done with that, fold it up and then it, we're going to get Jason and Jared because um, we like J's. Jason and Jared are going to pass around the uh, baskets and if you drop it in there, Right now, we're just giving them all. We've got to collect them all first, okay? So don't take any out. This is not like the offering bucket. You don't get to give and take out of the same bucket, okay? Um, okay, so you're just putting them in. If you're online, remember, text the word H4MH to 97,000 to fill out the online survey. And uh, hopefully at this point, if all the tech work correctly, you're going to see, where is it, in this, right? I'm going to move on. I think it's like right here. You're going to see the surveys 
um, showing up right there. This is a lot harder. If you had to be a, like a, a weather guy, that's what it's called. It's called the weather. That's a lot harder than you think it is. Um, I know they have a TV over there, but it's hard. Anyways, okay. So um, anybody still holding theirs? Can you, can you, okay. Jason, we got some here. Oh, come on, J Jared. What do we pay you for? <laughs> Online, H4MH to 97,000. Okay, okay, you got them all? Jason and Jared, you want to switch sides or switch baskets? There you go. Okay, switch baskets. Now, take one out and just hold on to it for right now. Now, here's the deal, okay, while they're passing them out. Let me remind you of this, okay? If you were, by some miraculous opportunity, to pull out the card that you had, don't say anything because nobody else is going to know. And if you could, it would be a statistical anomaly that would be amazing, and you should go buy a lottery ticket on your way home, okay? There is almost no statistical chance that you could end up with the same card, unless in the midst of this, you got up and switched sides of the room as well, okay? So everyone's going to take one and just hold on to it. You can open it. You can look at it. You can read where they wrote. Um, if they marked anything on it or any, like, little cute notes that they wrote for you, um, you can, uh, so everyone should get one, okay? We're getting close. Again, if you're online, H4MH to 97,000. If it's working right, which I have no way if it's actually working right, <laughs> if it's working right, um, it should actually be updating numbers as it goes, so you can see that. Okay, so he here's the deal. Um, as they're finishing up, they're almost done. Um, Stalin once said, which is someone that you should quote in sermons, is Stalin. Stalin once said that a million is a statistic, one is a tragedy. And here's what he meant. We hear about numbers all the time. We hear about thousands and millions and maybe even billions of people that have this or do this. We hear percentages. And I could stand up here and I could give you percentages and I could say, you know, 20% of Americans deal with this and 17% deal with this and 65% deal with this. But in our mind, what we do is we disassociate with those numbers from them being people because that's too much weight for our soul to bear. To imagine the millions and millions, the hundreds of millions of people that are starving to death is too much for our souls to bear. So we disassociate with that number. But when it's one person, it becomes this great pain and heartache. When we know that person. So here's the deal. When we talk about mental health, I could give you statistics, and later Bert is going to give you just a few statistics about the state of mental health in our nation, right? But what you're going to be tempted to think is that's a them problem. That, that's something that other people have problems with. And, and here's the worst thing. Here's the worst, absolute worst part of it. Especially if you yourself today are struggling with a mental illness. One of the greatest weapons of Satan is shame that tries to convince you of the lie that you're alone and you're the only one. So here's what we want to do. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to read through these four things and as I do, if yours is marked, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Now, everybody remember, remember, when they stand up, they're not standing up because they marked it. They're standing up because they're holding a card, and get this, this is the important part, of someone who's in this room. 
If you're watching online, when you see these numbers moving, they're moving because someone who's watching online right now, okay? So, if you're holding a card that says that in the last year that you've had severe, serious depression lasting for more than two weeks, if you're holding a card that has that bug marks, would you please stand up? Okay, just look around the room for a minute. This is not a them problem. This is not a them pain. This is not a them brokenness. This is an us thing. You can take a seat. If your box has disabling anxiety marked, would you please stand? You can take a seat. If your box has self-harm marked, would you please stand? <laughs> you guys, um, like a lot of times we think of these things as like junior high and high school problems. Like look around the room. The room's almost full of adults. This is an us thing. You can take a seat. Lastly, if your, box, if, you, if your box has suicidal thoughts marked, would you please stand? You can take a seat. Lastly, if you were holding a card that has any one of these four things marked, would you please stand for us? <laughs> Just look. There are more of us standing than there are sitting. If you're one of the people who marked one of the majority of people who marked one of these boxes, whether you're standing or sitting right now, I want you to look around and know you're not alone. I want you to know that the pain and the agony and the fear and the doubt and the lies that you've been fed, you're not alone. Our hope this morning is to be a place that can remind us that together, because of Christ, there is hope not some sort of like false thing that like all your pain is just going to go away. Like Hugh talked about that. All the difficulties are not going to go away. But that one of the great commands of scripture is that we're called to carry our burdens one with another. You guys can take a seat. Before we welcome Berta up here, let me pray for us. Lord, Here we are, every one of us broken, every one of us aching, every one of us not as you desired or built us to be, but dealing with death and disease and decay in this broken world. Lord, we thank you 
that you are a God of mercy and kindness and peace and joy. Lord, I pray that we as the body of Christ might walk together in a way where we can bring hope to one another. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. They should have given me a training. <laughs> anyway, we've done this for five years. And even though I know what's going to happen every time, because the same thing happens every time, every year, it just breaks my heart. But it also gives me a lot of hope. Because even if one person is encouraged to be hopeful where they weren't, it's worth it to go through the pain and the discomfort of this experience. Huh. So I'm also very excited. I mean, we've been doing this for five years. Sean's been holding this vision to the point where we're about to have a counseling center. So <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Um, if it was just up to me, I'd be gone, frankly. Um, <laughs> so he warned me in the beginning that there would be tears. He was right. What he didn't warn me about was that a whole lot of them would be about me. That ministry would reveal all the sin and struggles and weaknesses uh, I managed to avoid for years before coming to Christ. Despite therapy and a 30-year career in mental health. Just amazing. I've discovered God is dangerous <laughs> to complacency and to excuses about not having the necessary skills or gifting. So despite all my stuff, we are moving along, and clearly there's still a need for mental health ministries. Our survey alone shows that. And data has always shown that Christians are equally as vulnerable to mental illness as the rest of the population. Data, especially for our iGen youth, those born between the middle 90s and middle 2000s, especially girls, shows a radical rise in depression, anxiety, and suicidality. According to Jean Twenge in her book, iGen, 46% more 15 to 19-year-olds died by suicide in 2015 than in 2007, and two and a half times more 12 to 14-year-olds. This trend has continued and has been intensified by the pandemic. Given the inadequacy of the current mental health system, and that's a whole other conversation, I'm praying that the growth in mental health ministries continues. And I'm convinced that in order to grow mental health ministries and churches, we need some significantly different ways of thinking about mental health. This morning I'm going to share those ideas, how I got there, and why they matter. To begin with, I've come to think that we all need mental health skills, especially our young people. Not just those suffering with diagnosable mental health issues. After all, who is the only completely mentally and emotionally healthy person to ever walk the planet? 
Jesus, <laughs> I knew you knew that. <laughs> I've also come to think that mental health is a continuum. Due to our broken nature, no one is exempt. So if Jesus is over here, and those with severe, chronic, and disabling mental illness, which applies to a small percentage of people, maybe three to five percent, if they're over there, then we see severe episodic or situational illness as we move along the continuum to the majority of us in the middle who are largely functional but have some disabling distress or dysfunction in some area of our lives, including struggling with sin. There are those that are pretty healthy and emotionally mature, but again, they are not Jesus. They still need to continue to grow and mature and still have to be in a world where, where sin is a difficulty. So everyone needs mental health skills, and there's a continuum. These aren't brand new or original ideas, but I've only come to them over the last year or so. So if you remember nothing else about my talk, whether you agree or disagree, I invite you to pray and see if God has anything to say to you about these ideas. Now, how did I get to them? First of all, I am a bookworm. In other words, I've rarely met a problem that books couldn't solve. From escaping my family, to visiting other times and places, to learning about whatever's troubling me, books are often my first resort. I'm also an introvert, even though I like to talk a lot. So any permission to isolate, like the pandemic, at first seems really great. Even though I know isolation is a stronghold I haven't yet conquered, at first I like it a lot. So it's probably not a shock that my major pandemic panic projects included studying. By July of last year, I finished online courses to be a certified brain health coach and to be an instructor in suicide prevention. Then come August, I dove into studying spiritual formation with a friend from Bible study. More on that, but let me back up a bit. When I became a Christian five years ago, I fell in love with Jesus, and like any new relationship, I was infatuated, glowing with hope, adopted into God's family, having the Holy Spirit within me, and his promises. I definitely was focused on the promises part of the equation. Being me, I jumped into not one, not two, but three Bible studies. It's hard to balance being a bookworm and an introvert, but being 67, I figured I didn't have forever to figure this all out. Anyway, God being wiser called Liz Halligan to be my mentor. I don't know exactly what he said to her, but thankfully she helped me get grounded in our faith, and it definitely helped to take root of that winter. Shameless plug. Of course, I still collected books, Bibles, studies, and Christian fiction. Christian fiction was an easier way of learning how people actually walked in faith. Much easier than actually talking to people. Anyway, like most any honeymoon, after about six months, the glow diminished. I woke up in the morning, and I'm still me. Though no longer alone, having hope in Jesus and a new family in Christ. I also noted that other Christians were also just plain human. It's that broken thing. What does Sean remind us of every week? Matthew is a Jew, and we are all broken <laughs> and busted and a bunch of other adjectives I can't remember at the moment. So bookworm broken me faced with the Bible, the book that has all of God's answers to life, Figured must include how to be mentally healthy. 
It certainly showed God and people, including Jesus, expressing a full range of emotions, living lifestyles that included rest and contemplation. It encouraged healthy boundaries. Jesus certainly knew his limits and often went away for silence and solitude and communing with God. The Bible encourages honesty and awareness of negative patterns of thought and working to transform them, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I also noticed that there was a lot of what to do and why, not so much how, at least in terms I could understand. So I started to wonder if it was possible that things I learned in therapy and my career could fit in there somewhere. Bear with me as I return to Pandemic Adventures in Spiritual Formation. During our first summer of pandemic time, Scott Schindler, our youth pastor, in last July's best sermon ever, referenced Robert Mulholland's book, Invitation to a Journey. That friend I mentioned and I started our socially distant study of that book on my back porch. We continued with Ruth Haley Barton's Invitation to Solitude and Silence, as we were both clear that we were really bad at that. And we made our way through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course twice. We started this journey in spiritual formation with Mulholland's definition. Spiritual formation is a process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. A process of being formed. That was a bit of a mind blower for me. Oh, and then in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pastor Pete Scazzaro states, it's impossible to be spiritually mature and remain emotionally immature, and vice versa. All of this added up to profound relief and encouragement. All my secular experience taught me that change is slow, it's a process. But now, with God in charge of the forming, there's help. However, it requires a level of giving up control and trusting that is beyond anything I'd ever imagined. Obviously, without his help, impossible. Timothy Jennings, in his book, The God-Shaped Brain, says, although we can experience conversion in an instant, the thief on the cross, Saul on the road to Damascus, God's healing transformation of our lives occurs gradually, steadily, and progressively. It takes time for unhealthy neural circuits to degrade and healthy ones to form, which is bomb to the ears of a brain health nerd. So yay, I haven't totally messed up this following Jesus thing. It's okay for change to be slow for you too. But now what? I could not help but notice that God asks a lot of us. Not that he doesn't give a whole lot more than he asks. His word resounds with commandments and exhortations that challenge us to open our hearts and minds, to change our behaviors and commit our time and energy to him, to devote our lives to becoming who he designed us to be. If you have a Bible handy, Turn to Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, and that should be up on the monitor. Hopefully, or not. <laughs> huh? It's very small. Okay, well, hang in there with me. We'll stumble through this together. So this scripture is foundational to our faith. It's a poem and a song. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha 
וכל לבבך ובכל נפשך ובכל מאותיך. So why did I sing this in Hebrew? Because I can, <laughs> but, but there's also a point. Do you remember what Sean said last week about words? Roughly, words don't matter unless they transform your heart and your walk. It's been 20 years since I've been in a synagogue, but, and I, I can't remember how many times I sang that scripture. But it was much easier to focus on learning Hebrew and melodies, and to ignore the challenge and transformative power of those words. So, in the New Testament, Jesus adds, all your mind, yet another challenge, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yikes. <sighs> Honestly, for most of my life, I figured I just didn't have the capacity to love anything or anybody with all my heart, let alone to accept and be focused on a God who loves me. Okay, then there's Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. And the plethora of what seem like impossibles in the New Testament, impossible to me anyway. Do not be anxious, do not worry about tomorrow. Capture all your thoughts to Jesus. Focus on what's good and true, pray without ceasing. In other words, Berta, calm down, trust. After all, you have the Holy Spirit within you for comfort and guidance. But again, how? How to cooperate with God's plan to transform me? So I had started thinking about what's needed to cooperate with God's will. Definitely a big change in my lifelong habit of gritting my teeth and motoring through on my own will. So in my little brain, aha, it's skills, knowledge, and abilities. If you've ever worked in human resources or been to a job interview where they ask you your skills, knowledge, and abilities, that's exactly what I mean. What are the skills, knowledge, and abilities to follow God's will for us, to make room for the Holy Spirit to work? Clearly what we learn in Rooted is a significant part of starting this walk. Reality is, just like you said, that dealing with the amount of baggage and brokenness we, car we carry requires lifelong dedication and a lot of skill. Maybe first among them is slowing down. John Mark Comer, a pastor in Portland, says, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. In other words, as in therapy, if you want to grow, you have to slow down and pay attention to your patterns of thought, your emotions and behaviors. You have to slow down and learn how to relax and be present. Still not my best skill. But being still is both a psychological and a spiritual skill. Resolving grief and trauma, for example, requires a ton of skills, including letting God lead you to the resources needed for help, the willingness to admit there's a problem, distress tolerance skills to endure and persist in healing that's often uncomfortable. We all have gaps in our skills, knowledge, and abilities to navigate emotions and thoughts, to express them in a godly way, to communicate kindly and effectively to manage stress. We have fears and tension keeping us from experiencing a full range of emotions. If we want to love God with all our heart, all of our soul, all our strength, and all our minds, we simply have to make room for him to work, and skills can help. So I invite you to ask, what's in my way of following his commandments, 
How do I stop doing what I don't want to do and not doing what I want to, as Paul confesses? How do I love with all my heart? How do I conquer sin and resolve issues that harden my heart? You start by praying for God's grace and guidance and asking for safety. Understanding safety is a crucial skill. Who in your life can you trust to listen well, to be respectful and honest in helping you evaluate your mental health situation? If you have no one that is safe or you have trauma issues that might traumatize the listener, seek a counselor. There are many options for accessing resources and learning. Check out the rolling racks to either side of the auditorium doors. Check out the resources on the Hope for Mental Health page of our website, including resources for faith-based and online options. Also, check out the PDF we're handing out today after the service. It has emotional maturity stages on one side and mental health skills on the other. If you have any questions about mental illness or how to access help or know when you need help, please contact me for a free confidential conversation. I also invite you to email comments, questions, and ideas for growing the ministry to hmh at mymcc.cc. And as usual, you can text Monmouth to 97000 and you find your way to the Hope for Mental Health page. To summarize, we all need mental health skills to grow in our walk with Jesus. No one is exempt. And everyone has skills, knowledge, and abilities to build on. You've demonstrated that today just by participating in this survey, which was uncomfortable, but you had the willingness to do it and to surf through that discomfort. The other reason this matters is that if Christians accept that everyone needs mental health skills, then we can be a mighty force in reducing stigma and making room for Christians to not only be the most mentally healthy group of people, but to be the hope for mental health that God calls us to be.